Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Now, let's look at the remedy to some of this. Uh, And so if we get to that point where we recognize this is what I want bad enough that I'm willing to sin against you in order to get it, what is the next thing that we do? Well, that's what chapter 5 is about. Repentance. And I will say this. If we want to have an excellent, healthy marriage then repentance becomes a skill we must master instead of an inconvenience that we avoid. And that's a very important point. And I would go so far to reinforce something that we started with, that repentance can be incredibly romantic. Because when I am willing to repent, what I am saying to you is that I value our relationship more than my pride. I am willing to sacrifice something in me for us. And it's that kind of sacrifice for a greater good that is the bonding element in almost every great thing that we do. I mean, think about it. There is a sports team and they have a common goal and they begin to sacrifice for that as a band of brothers. And as they do that, there is this tightness that comes amongst that team as they do it together. You take a missions team and they're going to an unreached people group in a hard area and they sacrifice and they rally for one another. And in the midst of that, there is this sense of bond that forms between them. That is part of what repentance is meant to do within a marriage as we sacrifice for this greater good of honoring God and loving one another well. And in the midst of doing that and seeing the fruit that it brings, it brings that kind of bond to a marriage. Uh, Now, Tim Keller uh, says why this is hard. He says self-centeredness by its very character makes you blind to your own sin, while being hypersensitive, offended, and angered by that of others. The result is always a downward spiral into self-pity, anger, and despair as the relationship gets eaten away to nothing. If only, only if we are very good at forgiving and very good at repenting can truth and love be kept together. So here's kind of the the single thought I want us to get off of that. Repentance is the only way back to relational sanity. If we get to the point where we have slid down that progression, where a desire became a demand and we used it to judge and it totally changed the way that we saw things and the way that we described, and I begin to punish you in ways that seem very justified to me but very crazy to you, the only way for us to get back to relational sanity is through repentance. Because the only other options 
are to justify what we've done wrong or to minimize and ignore it. Either of those is unhealthy. Uh, And so the only way back to relational sanity is repentance. Uh, On this theme of repentance, Gary Thomas uh, helps us see another important point. He says, I have a theory. Behind virtually every case of marital dissatisfaction lies unrepentant sin. Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. Let me say it this way. A couple doesn't stop saying the three little words, I love you, until they quit saying the three little words, I was wrong. If you want to divorce-proof your marriage, one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give is to look at one another and make a commitment to say, I will own any way that I offend you. I won't blame shift it. I won't minimize it. I won't ignore it. Uh, I, I commit not to fall out of repentance so that I will not fall out of love. Now, uh, Paul Tripp, he says, confession shouldn't be a scary thing uh, that we do our best to avoid. Uh, And sin, weakness, and failure should not be the constant elephant in the room that husbands and wives know is there, but can't talk about. Confession should be seen as a wonderful gift that every marriage needs. It should be liberating. It should be freeing. It should not be seen as a moment of personal loss, but as an opportunity for personal and relational gain. Uh, There's a passage uh, that I don't think gets all the attention it deserves. Uh, It's in the book of Acts. It's right there uh, at the birth of the early church. Peter is preaching And he's making this statement where he's calling people to repentance. He's, repent and return to the Lord. This is Acts 3.19. And then there's this quirky little phrase right after it that I don't think we get. He says, repent and return to the Lord that times of refreshing may come. And too often, we think about repentance as if it were God's version of time out. Sit over there in the corner, think about what you've done, and come back when you can do better. Instead of it being a gift that creates this sense of unity and sanity and togetherness and trust. And if we are ever going to have the kind of healthy marriages that we want to have in the midst of our differences we have to have a higher view of repentance. Not as something to be avoided, not something to kind of drudge through, but as something to embrace. So what I want to do is I want to walk through uh, from Ken Sandy what I think are seven facets of robust repentance. What is it that we're doing when we repent? Um, Because, again, honestly, I think this is one of those things that we don't teach well. So what is repentance? First, it involves addressing everyone 
involved. So whoever saw my sin needs to hear my repentance. If I am rude to my wife in front of my boys, then they need to hear the repentance that goes on. That is part of my discipleship of them. Think of it this way. Because oftentimes we go, well, does, is that sin really significant enough for me to have to address it with somebody else? Think of the term insignificant sin like you would think of the term insignificant termite in your home. If I see a termite in my house, and I go, eh, it's an ant with wings, it'll go away, it's not that big. No, it's a big deal. If there is a termite at all, it's got friends and we're getting rid of them. That is the same mentality that we should have whenever sin begins to infiltrate our marriage and our home. And we want to address it so that we don't let it fester. A second part of repentance. Avoid words like if, but, or maybe. These are words that we use to kind of soften what we're saying. And they are usually offensive to the person that we're repenting to. I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. Translated, you're just too sensitive and because of that I need to say this to make you feel better. If destroys repentance. I'm sorry I yelled, but you were just being stupid. That's what I call a backhanded repentance. Um, You know, if you said to me, Brad, you're not as ugly as your brother. That is a backhanded compliment. Sorry, Greg. Um, It, but to say, I'm sorry, but, is backhanded repentance. Maybe I shouldn't have said the things that I did. Well, at that point, I'm just inviting a debate. Then I'm going to say, I said I'm sorry, why are you still getting on my back? No, I invited a discussion and a debate, and now because there was a sorry involved in the invitation, I'm going to try to pit it back on you that I said what I needed to say. No, I didn't. And in the midst of your repentance, this amazes me. Don't use verbs of completion. I never cease to be amazed. Somebody can be sin blind. They are not willing to acknowledge anything that they've done wrong. And then at the moment that they acknowledge it, they begin to use the verbal phrase, I know, look, I know what I need to do. I know what's going on. I know this. I know that. Sorry, it usually takes on masculine connotations. But they go from sin blind to expert As soon as they said they're sorry. That is very disingenuous. So don't use verbs of completion. Admit specifically. Uh, One of the goals of repentance is to make forgiveness as easy as possible. When I repent and I'm asking, what am I trying to do in the process that would restore this relationship? Part of it is I am trying to set up and make your forgiveness of me as easy as possible. Now, forgiveness is never easy. We're going to look at that in chapter 6. But part of what I want to do as a sign of sincere repentance is to make that as easy as I can by virtue of what I'm doing. 
And generic confession is often a sign of insincerity. And then when, if I, you know, I said some things that I shouldn't have said. If you try to clarify for me what it was I said that I shouldn't have said, then I'm going to push back on you for just piling on because I said I was sorry. And it's not necessarily that you're being mean. It's that I set you up with bad repentance. Apologize. Uh, Acknowledge the hurt. This is where uh, I need to enter your world a little bit and figure out how did my sin affect you? Because part part of me, especially in a marriage, repenting is returning to that role where I am a caregiver and not someone who is hurting. And so part of my repentance should be asking the question, how did my sin affect you? And if you say, that just sounds like groveling to me, I would politely say, that is a major expression of pride and you need to check your heart. Because if for me to say, that for me to get upset because we were late for church, I can see where that would make getting ready for something where our focus needs to be turning to God and you're wondering if we're all going to be there on time because we got two kids and that kind of stuff. If me acknowledging how that impacts you is groveling, I am not serving my role as protector of my home well at all. Accept the consequences. Repentance is not a plea bargain. It's not trying to get off on a lesser charge. If there are consequences that should come as the result of what I did, I should accept those. Alter your behavior. Part of my repentance should involve indicating the kinds of changes that I think would be appropriate for what I did. Because if I don't offer something like that, and then you begin to offer it to me, then you come across as my parent more than my spouse. Now again, there may be things that you see and suggest that would be better or just an aspect of it that I didn't catch. But if I open that part of the conversation up to you, then it allows us to have that conversation as husband and wife instead of you coming across as my parent in that moment. Final part of repentance is to ask for forgiveness and allow time. Oftentimes, we have a cheap counterfeit exchange in our culture that masquerades as forgiveness and repentance, but it's just not. Instead of saying, will you forgive me, I forgive you, we say, I'm sorry, that's okay. And there's a place for I'm sorry, that's okay. It's for mistakes. I'm sorry for mistakes. I repent for sin. You excuse mistakes, that's okay. You forgive sin. Uh, In our house, we are a bargain-hunting family. I call my wife bargain slayer, and she blushes and considers it the sweet terms of endearment. There's one thing we don't buy 
at a bargain price. It's trash bags. Uh, Because if you're like us, the trash can gets full, and that's when you push it down. Um, And and then you fill it up again, and when you push it, I've already pushed it down. Then you go through the laborious effort uh, of pulling it out, but it's, it's too full. And if you pull on that bag, and it's a cheap trash bag, and it comes up, trash just went all over your kitchen. My contention is that I'm sorry, that's okay, is the cheap trash bag counterfeit for authentic repentance and forgiveness within a marriage. And when we sin against one another, and we will, we need to bring the hefty trash bags of authentic repentance and forgiveness. And when it says allow time, you know, sometimes people ask me, how much time should I allow? Here's my general rule. Allow at least as much time for your spouse to forgive you as it took you to come to a point of repentance. I think that's only fair. If I lose my cool and it takes me three hours to come to the point where I say, I was kind of knuckleheaded, and I expect you to forgive me in three minutes, it's just not very fair. And I think if we will create an atmosphere where I at least allow as much time for you to come to a point of forgiving me as it took me to come to a point of repentance, we will create an environment of grace where the time lapse between both of those is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I think one of the great marks of growth in a gospel-centered marriage is an ever-decreasing interval between when we sin and when we repent and when we repent, and when we forgive, so that those intervals are getting smaller, and the enjoyable part of our marriage is getting larger. Now, I want to give you a case study uh, to to help you see what we're talking about here. Uh, And if you are married and you have kids, chances are you can relate to this. Because in most marriages with kids, at least one spouse is the timekeeper. Uh, They are the one to make sure that we are where we need to be on time. And so whichever spouse that is, in this case we're going to say it's me, and you can probably guess I'm uptight enough that I tend to be that person, uh, we are late. And, And in the midst of that, in trying to motivate my family to be on time, uh, I'm not nice. And so here is repentance A, and I want you to grade it on kind of an A to F scale, uh, if I, after that, I'm kind of gruff with my family, I come to my wife in private, and I say, I'm sorry, I lost my cool, I didn't mean to raise my voice, but I didn't know what else to do because you guys were late, I'll try to do better. How do I come out? Maybe about a C-. minus. Now, I think most of us, before we just went through what we went through, would have said, that's better than what goes on in our house. Uh, But now, let's come back for a moment and let's hear what a more complete repentance uh, would sound like. It was wrong for me to raise my voice, to call you guys lazy, to question your commitment to God, and ask a bunch of rhetorical questions that couldn't be answered just to make you feel bad about being late. Being on time is important to me, and in this case, it was too important. 
I care about what people think of me. And in this case, I was more concerned about walking into church late than I was loving my family well. I need to be careful not to judge and punish you guys based on what's important to me. I can see how my impatience can make going to church a stressful time and harder to focus on God and what we're really going to church for. I'd like for us to talk later about how we can manage our time getting ready for church better, but right now I'd like to ask for your forgiveness. I want to show you that being on time is not more important than loving my family so that we can have conversations about getting ready for church in a way that feels safe and doesn't create fear and tension. That was repentance. That will disciple my children. If you want to ask, what shapes my children's heart? I will tell you, a little bit of that will do a lot more than family devotions every night. And I'm for family devotions. But that's the moment where they see Dad living this out in such a way that it's real and it's tangible and they know what it sounds like. And again, you may say, that's a lot of words. That takes a good bit of time. I would still say it takes less time than whatever the nasty relational fallout is if we don't do that. It's a time saver. Now, uh, one more quote here on repentance. Winston Smith. He says, if you are really taking responsibility for what you did, um, if you aren't really taking responsibility for what you did, you aren't confessing sin. When you are able to describe yourself that accurately, uh, think back to the case study I just gave you where I was repenting. When you can describe yourself that accurately, then you're going to be more successful at changing and your spouse is going to find it easier to forgive. Confessing sin is a proclamation of the gospel. A proclamation that there is a way back from failure. That there's rescue and healing from brokenness. We don't have to hide our sin from each other. But the reverse is also true. Refusal to confess and forgive is a proclamation of hopelessness and despair. It proclaims that the only hope of overcoming sin is covering it up. And the same pointless way that Adam and Eve tried to do. And so I want to take just a minute and say, what are the marks of authentic repentance? And so if we said before, here is how we repent. If we repent, what are the things that we should see after that? Well, we should see a decrease in the frequency of our sin. And I think the better we repent, the more equipped we are to battle our sin. We should repent more quickly. That the interval between when I sin and when I repent should be getting shorter. That's a major mark of spiritual maturity. A change in the battleground. Uh, That means that I begin to fight battle. I begin to fight the battle at the level of my thoughts and values instead of the level of my actions. And when that happens, then my spouse is actually on my team. When I can begin to say, I am struggling right now because we're late and I want to honor you, and I can just tell, will you pray for me? And I begin to fight that battle 
at the level of my thoughts and my attitudes, my wife can be on my team. We're together against it. Instead of it being on my team against her. And that is incredible. Another mark. A greater sense of my need for Christ and His mercy. You know, in our, in our personal maturity, we reach a point that we hit greater and greater independence. In our spiritual maturity, we become more joyous in our dependence upon God. And sometimes when we grew up, that meant we left out and we provided for ourselves. We think when we grow up spiritually, that means we kind of leave God behind. It was great for you to save me and kind of you know, move along with me. And we miss the fact that one of the marks of repentance is a more and more joyous dependence upon God. Uh, increased accountability and honesty. Uh, when, I am, when I am engaging in authentic uh, repentance... I don't need a reason to be honest. It doesn't have to be that bad. And, and because I really want this sin to go away, I'm going to seek accountability who's not just my wife. I don't have the guys in my small groups and other places just asking, you know, how are you doing uh, when things aren't on schedule? And all of a sudden I set my wife up not to be the one who has to be that kind of overseer and she gets in that mother role because she knows other people are walking alongside of me and I free her to be my wife because I'm seeking accountability in other places for that as well. doesn't mean she can't talk to me about that. It just means I create more opportunities where that conversation is being had so she doesn't feel like if she doesn't, nobody else will. Not responding to sin by indulging in sin. You know, this is one of those bad habits that I think we all get into. Uh, it's why little conflicts often become big conflicts. We lose our cool a little bit. We feel like we've already been bad. And if we've done the crime, we might, or if we're going to do the time, we might as well do the crime. And then we just kind of have our little, kind of let it out. And when instead of just using that moment as an excuse to let it go, we begin to cut it off wherever it is, that is a sign of authentic repentance. Because as we've said, a seminar like this doesn't mean we're always going to get communication perfectly right. A seminar that is going to equip us to communicate well is going to teach us how to manage those moments when we do it wrong in a way that draws us closer together and closer to Christ instead of pitting us apart. Um, and then another one uh, that I think we often miss is that we learn to love and consider the interest of real people. Because when I don't repent well, the thing that is going through my head is just, this would be a whole lot easier if you would blank. And again, it's that whole thing of my desire becoming a demand and it's shaping everything that I want from you. And you're not a real person with real interest and real priorities and real thoughts. You just become this figment of my imagination, a mannequin that I just wish would respond in a way that was perfect so that my struggles were less. And when I begin to repent in a way that really considers what's going on in your world, you become a real person 
that I begin to consider and love and think about in a way that is just powerfully bonding for our marriage. 